my first business failed because I wasn't listening to what my clients needed. Interesting. More specifically, I was focused on what I thought they needed. Sure. What was bringing in revenue, first of all? What did I like doing? I will do that. What do I hate doing? I will have somebody else doing it. And then what are the things that I like doing that aren't bringing revenue? That's a hobby. <laughs> not everybody wants to be a speaker. They want to be sure. able to speak, but not everybody wants to be a speaker. I can make more money next week just by willing it, but I can't get my time back with my daughter. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. We're back. I'm your host. Today on the King stage, I've got Tyler Foley, my brother, the speaker. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been This has been one that's been circled on the calendar ever since you guys reached out. I was like really excited you know it's not often that you get to be a guest on on one of the top ranked podcasts i've done a lot of podcasts as you know but it's it's rare when we get to be in the upper echelon and i very much appreciate the invitation so thank you for having me on well you speak too kindly but i'll i'll receive those words and and actually you know here's what's nice is to have another radio voice here on the phone uh or here on the call because <laughs> I actually just last week I had a guest who at the very end was like, is this your real voice? <laughs> and so now <laughs> yeah. I have two, you and me both. We got a, what do they say, a face for radio? Is that what they call it, right? Uh, yes, yes, a definite face for radio. And uh, it's funny too, when my father passed away when I was quite young, I was six years old when he passed away. And my mom ever since has... She's only had two long-term relationships since my father passed. The first was with a musician who had an incredible voice because he sang. And then when that relationship ended after about 15 years, her most recent relationship, and now her husband, is a former radio DJ. So he was James Dodge of Flight 96 CHFM. And like he still talks in a radio voice. And I think... Because I have recordings of my father. He was an amateur musician and led the youth choir and was part of the, the youth group for my church. And so he used to do a lot of hymnals. And he played banjo, which was super cool. I've inherited his banjo and can't play it. I, I always want to learn. Like, I pick it up and I'm like, I just don't get it. And a friend of mine that I actually performed in a musical with plays banjo very proficiently. He's like, I can teach you. And then we, like, sat down for three lessons. He's like, I don't think I can teach you. So... <laughs> I know what my father's voice sounds like, and there was a time where I definitely sounded like my father, but it isn't now. <laughs> I definitely sound more like the other male influences because of the training. You know, being in film and television as long as I've been in, this is, this is now the adopted voice for, for a microphone. And, and it is how I would speak regularly, but it's definitely trained. You can tell. Yeah. Totally. I love it. I love it. Well, Tyler, 
this, this leads us right into obviously what kind of business that you have. You kind of service the world in a unique way. Tell us how you do that. Well, it's so it's interesting because as you know, I actually have multiple companies under my control. And the one that is kind of self-sufficient and running on its own, the one that kind of allows me to do the things that I love is my safety consulting business. And when that originally developed, one of the, we, we were multifaceted at that point. So we did program development, safety program auditing, safety training, and then I myself did keynote presentations because I will always want to be in front of a stage. And what was interesting as the business evolved, I did less and less and less and less of the auditing and significantly less of the program development because I hired people who knew how to do it way better than I did and, you know, made sure that they were well compensated for it so that they stayed. <laughs> I've just been able to, to parlay that off. And then the speaker training, what was interesting was, you know, we had the full myriad of, of training programs. You could come and do anything. But our most popular program was actually one that was originally called Basic Instructional Technique. And we called it Basic Instructional Technique because if we called it Public Speaking 101, the majority of attendees would never come. Right. <laughs> because everybody's afraid of public speaking or so they think. And what we did with that program was actually over two days do a lot of deprogramming around the fears of public speaking and show people initially if, if we tricked everybody into public speaking before they realized that they were public speaking within about the first two hours. And then when we pointed it out to them, they were all like, oh, that was just mean. But I guess I'm not really afraid of it the way that I thought I was. And it became super popular. So initially it was designed for CEOs and executives, and then it kind of became middle management and then frontline supervisors. And the next thing I knew, more and more people who were outside of it, because originally our target audience was construction personnel. So we started getting outside of construction industries, and then I had some engineering firms send some people, and the next thing we knew we had some oil and gas people. And then before I knew it, I had people who had nothing to do with construction and had nothing to do with management just wanting to come and take this basic instructional technique program just to learn how to be better public speakers. And as soon as I realized that there was where that audience was really being served, that's when I created the other business with Power to Speak Naked and all of the Drop the Mic training programs and really kind of focused on the public speaking. And then that's when the book came about and then the book became a number one bestseller. And then that's when I got involved with Power of Success and got to do like the big speaking things. And that's when we started seeing that exponential growth. And that's when, you know, for the second time in my life, I got to see seven figures. And that was that was really interesting how it evolved. And as you pointed out, it all came from finding that niche of serving the people where they were asking to be served, which was a lesson I learned from my first business because we tried to do something that they weren't asking for. Yeah, that's so interesting because I think that, you know, this topic of niching or, or finding the niche, you've done it but in two different, different ways. Like you said, servicing one industry in one specific way and you started trying to give them kind of what these people wanted, but it eventually made its way over. So. What would you say the takeaway for listener from that is like, okay, he has two completely different businesses. One was born out of something that he was developing. But we, as entrepreneurs, we have a lot of ideas. How did, how did you know that this was like something that you needed to run with as opposed to just something that would be taken out back and shot? Well, as I'd alluded to, my first business failed because I wasn't listening to what my clients 
needed. Interesting. More specifically, I was focused on what I thought they needed sure. instead of what they thought they needed. And I was still right. Like my first business was a photogrammetric business. We did initially aerial photography. And anybody who's ever turned on Google Maps, that's what I did. I was a photogrammetrist and we had a fleet of three planes and we were one of the first companies actually to get into digital photography and actually get a digital Hasselblad camera certified for photogrammetric work because camera lenses need to be measured and there's a whole process to it. And so there was a, an industry adopted standard with analog photography, so your film photography before they moved into an acceptance of digital. My company was was one of the first in North America, if not one of the first in the world, to actually specialize in this digital realm of it. And that was okay because people could get a product they were familiar with for less money. But then there was this explosion of LiDAR, laser topographic information that was coming. And, and what I was doing, pulling DEMs the old traditional way, was was going the way of the dodo. And I could see that, and we had this opportunity to move to interior mobile mapping. And it was fantastic, right? This beautiful technology where you could take a cart in and scan 3D interior, so you didn't weren't reliant on GPS and satellites. We had an, an IMU, an inertial measurement unit. And in fact, we had to get top secret clearance from the U.S. government to use the... And I'm in Canada to use the IMU that we had inside of this cart because the IMU was the exact same one that they put in scud missiles to guide them to the targets. So wow. we had to we had I had to do all kinds of of background checks and security clearance to be able to get this thing and then we had to have special arrangements around it and I thought it was the greatest thing and I could see all of the applications for it, you know, realtors could use it, builders could use it. My wife is a project manager and architectural technologist for the largest home builder in my province. And I had one-on-one -on -one with their VP, and I was like, listen, you can use this for warranty work, so if your trades screw up, you can have a digital map, and we can actually pinpoint with accuracy where, where it was if we you know, capture all of this, and you thought, great idea. But again, I was serving a market with the idea of I knew what it could do, and these were all the possibilities, and it was great and wonderful, but they didn't care. They just wanted to put up houses. And the realtors didn't care because they could hold open houses. Now, 15 years post when we did it, you can buy that same technology and it goes on a person's backpack and a realtor can walk around and make that virtual tour and they can output that thing in like a half an hour. For me, it was like a three-day process right. and it was expensive. So that was the other thing, like why would a realtor want to do it for something that they didn't need at the time? And, and then, you know, obviously now it's, it's an easy thing to do, but we were way ahead of the curve and we were pushing things that people didn't need. And subsequently, that business failed. Now, that business failed for a couple of different reasons. I, my partner passed away over a weekend and the business was in her name. And so that was where all the contracts were signed and everything. We didn't have the right director's insurance in place and the business literally was gone overnight. But we were struggling before that because we had pushed into this area that people weren't asking for, thinking that we could solve a problem that they didn't realize they had yet. And now everybody wants it, but it took a while for people to figure it out. So with this new business, I was very hyper aware of only serving what was in demand. Yeah. Like yeah. what are people asking for? You can 
push the envelope to make that service better and offer more, right? Be a value by always offering more. But the lesson that I learned from the first one was make sure that you are still in service, that there is the demand that is there and listen to what the demand is. Cause that's the other thing. Like when we were offering the training, it was so it, originally the design was to make it so that middle management could give better safety meetings sure. because the, the, the initial problem that I solved was safety meetings are an invitation to a lobotomy. Nobody wants to go. They hate them. <laughs> and I know that because I've been the one who's had to deliver them where people are staring glassy eyed at you. And the number of people who came up to me and said, why are your safety meetings different? Why are your toolboxes different? Like, I, I don't mind going to them. And I had to reverse engineer that and figure that out. And so when I figured out how to make a toolbox meeting so that people didn't hate it or fall asleep through it, right. I figured I could show other people to do it. And it became instantly popular yeah. because it's a big, big issue. And I'd yeah. solved it. And then listening to how, like, like I said, originally I did it and then people wanted to stick these group of people in it and then as i got exposed to like what i would call the reluctant supervisor so the lead or the foreman who got who has been promoted just because they happen to be really good at their job but they don't have those leadership skills yet or worse they don't want it they're like i just want to do my job i don't want to have to be in charge of these people i just want to do my job i did my job and i was really good at it and now i've been punished by being promoted right (laughs) And those were the people who really got served well because I could show them that they could they could have both yeah, and they could do it effectively. And so when I started doing that, then I got exposed to more people who were able to go and talk to their spouses and say, I just went to this crazy class. It was amazing. And then their spouse would be like, I want to speak. And you got the, the, the weird people like me <laughs> who were like, I want the audience. And then when they started asking, that's when I knew I had this different hook. And then that's when we, we kind of paired off. We still have the basic instructional technique, but it, then we have the power to speak naked. So they're designed differently. The one is designed for the attention seeker. The one is designed for the attention avoider. And we service both really well. There's still the, the you know, it's, I am, have the freedom and flexibility to talk to you today because we have that program in place and it just makes money without me ever having to do anything. What do you think, especially coming off the back of your, your first business being something that you were trying to basically trailblaze and you were just ahead of your time, technology was too, too rigid, too expensive, or whatever it was, then getting into the second deal you know, where you're like providing a real need, you said you were hyper-focused on making sure that it was in demand. What were you thinking yeah. or what were those moments where you're like, okay, no, I'm, I got to calculate this thing so that I'm not pushing something that I think is valuable that, that maybe they don't realize. But what were those calculations? Well, so again, it came down to metrics. Like what we had a lot, again, when I first started the, the business, we had a lot of program offerings, mostly because I was a single entity. I was a sole proprietor, even though I was an incorporated business. I'd actually taken over my father-in-law's consulting practice because he retired. And his consulting practice had absolutely nothing to do with safety. It just happened to be an incorporated business that I could take over for a dollar without having to pay the lawyers tens of thousands to get into it. And we could just literally facilitate the transaction between us. And for the, to this day, I'm incredibly grateful to him. One of the other reasons why I wanted to get into that was because 
I didn't want to be dependent on somebody else ever again. And I, I wanted to make sure that for this entity that I set it up correctly so that I knew that the with the first one, I was working in a business that I wanted to work in for the rest of my life. And this one I specifically got into with a 15-year plan of being able to parcel it off and just be the the director instead of the managing director. Sure. And be able to to have have that entity run and eventually either pass it over to my daughter if she's interested in it. And if not, find a successor that that wants to take it over or just sell the business completely. And so I'd gone in with different ideas. And so with this one, because I was starting out on my own, I knew that I had the safety skill set and I knew that these were all the things that were available in safety. I figured out the ones that were in demand by what people were asking for and what I was willing to provide. And then what was the, where were the bits that I enjoyed doing? So anything that was in demand that I hated doing, I found somebody else hired them and then just gave them most of the pie. You know, I, I take a very small percentage as, as an operating fee or initially did when I was subcontracting. And now I just, we just have employees. So I would basically, you know, I would get the contracts. I like, I have a lot of work, but I want you to do it. And then they were very, people are usually really happy when they don't have to do the management portion and they can just do the work that they like doing. And then everybody makes money and then that's good. So I, I focused on that. What was, what was bringing in revenue? First of all. What did I like doing? I will do that. What do I hate doing? I will have somebody else doing it. And then what are the things that I like doing that aren't bringing revenue? That's a hobby. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a thing. Because for a long time, speaking was the thing that I loved doing, but didn't bring revenue. Right. For a very long time. For probably the first seven years of my business, it didn't bring revenue. It was a thing that I did because I enjoyed doing it. It was great to bring awareness to the company. Right. And so, but it didn't pay initially, right? It was a it was a very long-term ROI. Now it's paying dividends like it's going out of style. Right. But it didn't upfront. But it was a thing that I loved doing, so that was a hobby. So it didn't get a lot of my time and attention. The training I really enjoyed doing because it was like speaking, but it was in demand. Right. And then as then it became, well, these are the things, so what about these things do people like? And then again, with the training, we had all of these training offerings. But what were the ones that people were consistently coming back at? And what was the ones that I didn't have to compete with? Because that's the other thing. Like I was doing fall protection, elevated work platform, first aid, confined space. Right. But they could go anywhere to get that. So to try and grab that market piece or be up front of it or try to compete with other service providers, it was a fool's game. But not a lot of people offered this base constructional technique. And the ones that did have something like it didn't do it as well as me. So again, where, what were those components? And so it just became a metrics game. What is popular? What isn't? And then when you can do... Because the, then you can start to be innovative. Right. Right? Yeah. You can start to offer that tweak and say, hey, this is the thing. And it, it, the A-B tests become a lot easier... Yeah. When when you are hyper focused on those metrics, because now you can see if that tweak 
gains more for you or if it if it keeps the line state static so that that was really the approach for me was what is going to further the bottom line what is going to further my job satisfaction and what is going to push me closer to not having to do this business ever again <laughs> right yeah well i think i think and, actually that that formula is is not only good but it gives the listener i think a, a good depiction of you know like this this ever changing thing of like what we want to do versus what our customers are really asking for because i think i think we're all honest we have those things inside of a business where we just like really run hard in this angle right here and it's like not really everybody loves that. And even like with Gathering the Kings, it's a fairly new business for us. It's about a year and a half old. We've got a mastermind group that started originally. Podcast just came out of it because it was a bunch of people that wanted help that I didn't let into the group. And so it's like, okay, even that, even the podcast is an iteration of people raising their hands saying, I want help, but I didn't have a space for it. So I think that I think that what you're saying really for the listener is for them to listen, not, not to us talking here today, but to listen to those that they're serving and figure out how they find this this beautiful mix of what you love to do, what you like to do, what you can do versus what they really want and somehow find a blend. Is that, is that what I mean? I, no, you're absolutely right. And it's funny because we actually do an exercise in my two and a half day workshop. So my actual like, we have the power of influence and then the power to speak naked. The power to speak naked is kind of that once you've gone through the power of influence you and you know like, you want to be a speaker right? because not everybody wants to be a speaker. They want to be sure. able to speak, but not everybody wants to be a speaker. So once right. we get you yeah. to the point where we know that you can speak, then we can take you to that. Okay. Now who wants to actually do this because you're an attention whore and we'll like, <laughs> we'll help you out with that. And so on that first one, you know, a lot of people are doing this because they have a business. They want to be on stage. They recognize that speaking one-on-many is is a better way of leveraging their time and informing people of their product or their availability or their expertise or whatever they want to do. Yeah. But everybody always says, like, who's my ideal audience? So we have this this exercise where we have two ways of determining who your ideal client is. And the first one is, you know, you five years ago and what would you, what advice would you give you and how would you do it and how would you structure it? And then being real honest, do a deep dive, like where were you really at? Not in your imagination, but like, what is the reality? What did you need to know? What did you need to find out? Where, what did you already have as a skill set? What were the, what was the assets that you had available to you? What were you taking advantage of? What weren't you taking advantage of? We go through this whole list. But then the other one that we do, because a lot of people are like, well, who I was five years ago or 10 years ago is so drastically different and I wouldn't actually serve me anymore or I don't, I wouldn't want to. And that's fair because like, I would not work with me 10 years ago. <laughs> I just wouldn't <laughs> yeah. like, no. But then the other way of determining who your ideal client is, is what do people, what advice do people most often ask you for? Like we all have that thing, right? Like my uncle was an airline mechanic and was you know very mechanically adept but nobody came to ask him how elevators worked on the back of a plane but what he was incredible at was woodworking like he had this wood shop in his basement and people from miles around would come and ask him how do you do this and he would show them like this is how you get the lathe going and this is what you know this is how you work some of the wood this is how you can bend like he just had this wealth of woodworking knowledge yeah. 
And if he would have been able to make that a training course, like, you know, this was 50 years ago, right? But if he had the tools that we have now, he could have made that a course, a YouTube thing. He would have been a TikTok superstar. My grandfather would, I'm sure, you know? And so what is that advice that people come to you the most about? And that is very good insight into what people want. Because if they're coming to you, they view you as an expert. And then, this is the critical part, what is the demographic, like, what is what is, is the similarities of those people who are coming to ask you that advice? Right. So you know who is asking it of you and what they are asking. And even if it's like on a small sample scale, for those entrepreneurs who are just starting out, that's a pretty good clue as to what you want. Because that was, for my entire life, since I was six years old, that's the thing that people have asked me. How do you do it? And what they're asking is, how do I get up on stage without any fear? Yeah. And it's funny because it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm without fear, but I don't fear the stage and I don't fear speaking in public because it was never something that I was taught to fear. Sure. Right. And so that's that was always my specialty and my skill set. So no matter what... If I was working for myself or if I was working for somebody else or if in the 25 years that I had a professional actor as my resume before I got into the engineering and then before I got into the safety, all of all of the key components and all the similarities where I was always having public interaction, I was always the one that was asked to speak in public, whether I was working for somebody else doing like – I remember working for an engineering firm doing their lunch and learns because <laughs> – engineers do not have this personality right. for the most right. part nope. and so i was the only one who was willing to do it and then subsequently uh, we skyrocketed the awareness of, of what that company was offering that i ended up getting offered i first i got bumped up i got a massive raise from the president and then i got offered stock options just because i was adding so much value into into that company and then they they helped support me when I when I transitioned into doing this on my own. So like it was just things like that. It, listening to what people have to say when they're asking you, yeah, that's good. Start to make note of what that pattern is. Be aware. Like the universe will present things to us over and over and over again until we learn the lessons. So until yeah, exactly. And I'll just to chime in, just to add value to what you're saying. This happened in my own life. <clears throat> Gathering the Kings is probably like maybe like a like an external like version of this, but. I was in sales for a long time. I've obviously run multiple businesses. I still have multiple businesses in different industries. And so the skill set isn't sales or team building or strategy or you know finance. Although all of those things I feel like I'm pretty darn good at. This, what you're talking about is that all these people over the course of time have wanted me to help them make good decisions because I take complex things and I make them simple. That's this podcast. I can't tell you how much feedback I've gotten from the podcast of like, Super great content, thick and rich, but it, but I understood it was great. Yeah. It's like, dude, if we can take things that are really, really complex, supposedly, and help you understand them, then you can go grow your business. That makes perfect sense. You can make good decisions. That's why I'm always asking here on the show, what's a good decision? That you make? What's a bad decision? That you make? So yeah. I want to transition here. You said something a few minutes ago that I think that if I press into, you're going to be able to add a lot of value to this. You said you've been on over 400 podcasts just this year, I'm sure more than I'm totally that. On, in addition to that, you've been on stage, you, you've been promoting for a long time. 
you also said for the first seven years it was a hobby because it paid you. So I want to know, one, what was the transition? Why did it go from hobby to now it was a benefit to your business? Number two is why should the listener start getting on podcasts, start a podcast, start speaking on stage, even if it is maybe not exactly better to pay Hey, kings and queens, Chaz Wolf. I want to talk to you about something that's super important to me. We put a lot of time and effort, we meaning myself and my team, into this podcast, into the content that goes out every single day. And if you have been getting any sort of value or insight from this, we want it to be able to reach other business owners too. So we would love if you would like, comment, share, leave a review, post, share again, <laughs> all of the things on social media, on all the different platforms, or even on the podcast mediums of Apple and Spotify. We would love to be able to get our content into more hands, more entrepreneurs, so they can grow their business as quick as possible. Together, we are building a community of like-minded entrepreneurs who are committed to growing their businesses to new heights. So let's do this. Let's help each other. Let's help each other grow. Well, here's the thing. There, First of all, it is so easy to do, particularly the podcast. Barrier to entry, super, super low. And if you want to really discover what, if because we just discussed, find out what people are asking you about. And if you're going, I don't know, podcasts are an amazing way of discovering what your expertise or what advice you can offer because the host will ask you. Now, if you're only on one podcast, that isn't a very large data set, but you do 20 or you do 50 or you do 100 podcasts, you start to see what the consistently repeated questions are where you find the most and the other thing is too you'll know where you light up yeah like when true. people ask you like there's the things where i can just spout and then there's the thing people will ask me a question i'm like well i don't know and i'll <laughs> say a thing but it's not a very long answer the yeah. ones where i can monologue for 20 minutes yeah and the host doesn't feel the need to interrupt me because i'm adding value not just rattling on <laughs> That's that's where you know that you're in the jam. So, and th here's the other thing too. My search engine optimization, organic SEO, yeah. shot through the roof. My webmaster phone. And he's like, "What are you doing?" And okay. I was like, "I don't <laughs> podcasting." He's like, "Because I'm backlinked to like 400 episodes, and it's it's constantly updated content, so it's better than a blog." Because a blog, sure, you you have new content on your website every week, but if nobody's actually reading your blog, then it, it, it doesn't it's not driving traffic. Where with the podcast, somebody else is promoting my stuff on my behalf. They're creating social media stuff for me. Like the the I don't do anything on Instagram. I do nothing on Instagram, but I have a post at least every day and a half on Instagram, if not more, because people are constantly tagging me in it and then I just have to hit share. And so I've, I've got a very active Instagram account that I have zero input into. Same with Facebook, same with LinkedIn. And all of that is driven by podcast hosts who are promoting the episode that I've been on. And then you amplify that over, I run a, a challenge called 100 Podcasts in 100 Days. And I remember the first time that we ever did a paid advertisement for that on Facebook, the, I, I felt so validated that I had found the right thing to offer because it was the first time my content had gotten trolled. Interesting. 
And I was like, yes, I finally hit that hot button where people are like, you can't do that. And I remember this one guy because he's, you know, he's it's a paid advertisement. So it sucks because when they interact with it, it costs you money. So not only are they trolling you, but they're like they're hitting your bank account. It's not much, but it still does. And I was I was laughing because the guy was like, at best, if you did a show a week, you couldn't do 52 in a year. And I'm like, why would you only do a show a week? I'm like, I do three shows a day. <laughs> I'm like, if you really want to make an impact in 10 weeks, 10 weeks, if you did two shows a day, and most shows are a half an hour to an hour long to record. Yep. So if you really want to do this, like if you want to skip from hobby to try to push this on the envelope. And the thing is, you can do it with the advent of technology. You can do it any time of day. Why do the podcasting then if it's a hobby? And Well, because... You stick that on your website, people can passively interact with you, but then they have to actively interact with you because they still have to click it. They still have to listen. They still have to choose. And it creates this, and it's social proof too. If you've been on two podcasts, whatever, you've been on a hundred podcasts, you're obviously, you know what you're speaking about. And it doesn't take long to do that. In 10 weeks, you can develop this entire repertoire and say, you know, I've done this thing and this is my area of expertise. You could go to the other guy, but look, I have been on a hundred shows and they've all asked and it becomes the social proof. All right, Tyler, you've given us value around why to be on a podcast, why to be on a stage, how to have intimate conversations, why we should be a speaker, why we should be promoting our businesses. Tell me how you've done all of this. You've got multiple companies and you're helping hundreds, if not thousands of other companies Grow their authority, grow their business. I want to transition here and ask you how you've done all of that and get focused on your family. When I was creating this enterprise, I was very deliberate in how I was going to spend my time and what I wanted. So, like, I had a very clear roadmap of what I wanted to do, and I always wanted to make sure, particularly because I had my daughter late in life. Like, I was 35 when my daughter was born. Wow. And there, there's only so much time that I have on this earth. And there's only so long that my body will still be able to function. Now, I do my best to stay fit and healthy. I still play hockey five days a week. And in fact, my daughter comes and watches me whenever she's not in school. And that's been a, a great joy and, and a thrill for me. But I have structured my time specifically to put in family time first the business will always be there. And that's why I've always found the people like even as when I was a sole proprietor, I was always looking at who can I, who can I farm this off to? Like I, one of the first things I did was get a VA. Right. And initially I had a very inexpensive VA. And then as I was able to generate more revenue, I was able to upgrade the quality of VA that I was able to hire. Yeah. And then VAs stopped being VAs and just became assistants. And then I was subcontracting a lot of the, again, jobs that I didn't want to do, but I knew paid well. So I just became a project manager. And there was a time where project management within the business was not paying the, the big bucks. Right. You know, I remember for three years, my subcontracted auditors, both of them, and my subcontracted program development manager made 
six times what I did. Well, because to business I, ownership, right? <laughs> yeah, because I was only taking you know ten to fifteen percent off the top right. as a project management fee, but year four when all those clients had been served and were repeat business and were coming back and I needed to get more as soon as I got to that 10 time multiple and it was you know 10 12 14 people inside the business instead of two or three yeah. that 10 to 15 percent didn't feel so bad anymore because I was still only having to put in 20 to 25 hours of actual management work per week. The work that I wanted to do, I got to do what I wanted to do. And I was able to schedule in the time. So I always scheduled in, like my wife and I have a scheduled tea time. And I don't mean golf. I mean, we sit down and we have tea. And she's actually the one to cancel it more than I am because she, she still works for somebody doing what is supposed to be a nine to five job. But as she has grown in her career, a nine to five job has become seven 30 to eight 30 at night. Right. <laughs> a lot of times, but I'm always there. I always have tea ready so that if she's there, she's there. And if my wife can't have tea with me, then I have tea with my daughter. And you know, Kenzie and I have our, like tomorrow I have blocked off all of tomorrow because we are going to go hiking. It is the last week before I start. I have a, a tour that's coming up, and I'm going to be gone two out of every three weeks from now until Christmas. Wow. And my daughter's going to be going back to school, so she's going to be doing her thing. So this week I knew was, was kind of our last window of good weather and free time to do whatever we wanted. And it's funny because I've had a lot of projects that are trying to push into this week. That's right. A lot of things you know, are there, but they're still going to be there next week. That's right. And I have people who I can parcel off the work to. And if I can't do it myself, there are other people who can. And so I'm, that's what I've done. I've, you know, I've put a little bit more on. It means that I'm making a little bit less, but it's fractional at this point. And who cares? Because that that time that I get to spend with my daughter is so much more valuable because that's the precious thing. That's the thing that I can't get back. I can make more money next week just by willing it, but I can't get my time back with my daughter. And so she is my priority along with my wife. And so we schedule in that time and then it's sacred. And every, it's amazing how everything else flows around it. Like it, it finds its way. Even like today I was supposed to be doing work. Tomorrow is going to be not a nice day, but it's still my daughter's day. But like we wanted to go for a hike, but it's going to rain. So now we're going to do something else. But I was like, oh, it would be great if I could have that hike today. And the meeting's canceled this afternoon. Boom. So I'm like, Chaz and I are going to have a conversation and then I'm going to take advantage of it. I'm not going to try and fill it with work. There is work that can fill it. Always. I don't, I don't care because I'm going to take advantage of it. We'll go for the hike. And then tomorrow, if it doesn't go as well, I'll probably do a little bit of work because it'll be a rainy afternoon. So she can do some painting and I will do some work. It will all find its its place. But you have to schedule what is important. And, that, and I just do that and it's sacred. And then that's that's how I've been able to, to maintain that balance. And being a professional speaker is pretty nice because when I get to go and do things like go speak in Dallas or when I get to go and speak in Dubai or when I get to go and speak in Thailand or Mexico, 
guess she gets to come with me. <laughs> She's had her passport since she was two years old. Yeah. You know, I love that. The, the, uh, the picture that you gave there is really important and I'm glad that you shared all that. The one piece that I want you just to give me just a little bit more on was that work, you know, this week you had set it aside and you're like, you know, work can always creep in. And that, that moment right there is going to be true for you, for me, for every entrepreneur listening forever and ever and ever. And the difference that I've seen in my own life, as well as other people who are mastering this very thing that we're talking about, is in that moment when you feel it start to creep in, is that you just have the poise to say, it's okay, I'll get to you next week. And I don't feel this like unsettled or unworthiness of not handling it right now, but more of a, no, it's okay, poise, I'm gonna set this down and I'm gonna focus on what I that is important at this moment for this hour or this block of time. So for you in that, like what gave you that poise or what was the realization was like, oh, actually that will be here for me tomorrow or next week when I come back for it. And I don't have to be like, oh my gosh, hurry quick. You know what I mean? Well, a couple of things. I think, you know, a lesson I've learned very early in my life is that our lives are finite. You know, my my father passing at six years old was a very pivotal point in my life. And I remember I didn't actually grieve my father's passing for many years. I it was I he passed away when I was six and I didn't really fully appreciate the what that meant until I was twelve years old. And I still remember at the time. I was getting an award for being the top student in my elementary school. My mom had been invited to the assembly. It was the year-end assembly. And it was packed, right? Because it's the last. So the teachers are there. Parents are there. Students are sitting in the gymnasium. And I remember my name being called and walking past my mom. And in this packed gymnasium, the seat beside her was empty. And I remember thinking, first of all, why is that chair empty? And then thinking, you know, my dad really should be sitting there. And then having this like Japanese bullet train of thought, <laughs> like Seriously, leave the station and fly. Like that thing was a jet engine on a takeoff. And, and it just, you know, my whole future flashed before me. My dad was never going to see me graduate from elementary. He was never going to see me actually graduate high school. And that meant he was never going to see my commencement from university. He was never going to see me get married. He was never going to see his grandchildren. He was never going to meet any of his grandchildren, whether mine or my sister's. Life was going to go on and he was not there. And I remember having this existential crisis at 12 years old, walking up to get this award and this bursary check and tears streaming down my eyes, everybody thinking that I was crying because I was happy. And it was because I was having this moment of realization. And then it was weird because instantaneously it snapped. I was like, well, actually, I don't know that that chair is empty. If this is a full gymnasium, it would be full. There is a presence there. That presence is likely my father. And then it just kind of changed the way that everything was viewed, you know, my father will see all of this stuff. I just won't be able to physically see him do it. He yeah. will have his presence there, wow. which has been very important to me because that's guided me a couple of different ways. First of all, I know that my physical existence on this plane is limited. Yeah. So I better take advantage of it because some of my fondest memories and one of the things, one of the reasons my daughter and I are going on a hike and one of the reasons we went on a hike on my birthday is my last memory of my father was my sixth birthday, going from five to six, him taking me for a hike in our in the Kananaskis. It's the Rocky Mountains. They're like 
40 minutes west of where we grew up. Wow. I still live in the area. And and sharing that moment with him, it's a fond memory that I have of him. And I want Kenzie to have those memories with me yeah. because I don't know if tomorrow will come. If tomorrow doesn't come, I don't want her last memory of me to be that I put her off to help some safety audit. I want her last memory of me knowing that work wasn't so important that I couldn't spend time with her when it was when it was our time. Yeah. And that has really guided me because my father is watching me. Yeah. And I want him to be proud of the man that I became. And I think that would that is a bigger testament than than the empire that I've yeah. built. I love the empire that I've built. But I've built it in a way specifically that I don't need to be in it. It will run without me. The directors could vote me out tomorrow. And the business would run. <laughs> I wouldn't like it. But it would run. But if my daughter votes me out of her life. That relationship will not. So that is my priority. Being with my wife is my priority. And so if I just measure it like that, it becomes it. Obviously, right. that's the choice that you make. The clients will always if they're demanding it today, yep. they will want it tomorrow. You just have to come up with a really good way of explaining the boundaries so that you're not making them mad. Right. But the particular client that was trying to schedule in today, we were supposed to have that business right. done last week and they kept delaying, delaying, delaying. I was prepared. So now delays this week are still on them because I had it scheduled. I let them know this was when the availability of the window was. If we don't have it completed by Friday, yep. it will be delayed until mid-September because of my schedule. So let's get it done now. And I think as long as you can create those boundaries that allows your clients to understand that you're not being unreasonable, in fact, you're making every accommodation to help yep. them. Exactly. I want to ask you one last question, Tyler. You've given us practical, you've given us philosophical, emotional, you've been, you've been really, really great today. You've given us so, so much value. Where can the listener find you? Number one, if they want to connect with you. Number two, if they find value in needing some sort of safety training, or if they want to make it, how can they find you? Well, the, the best thing to do is to go to my website, which is seantylerfoley.com. That's the best way to get in, because if they want the the safety side, it'll redirect them to Total Buy-In, which is my safety company. If they're looking for speaker training, SeanTylerFoley.com is kind of the, the place to go. If they just want to have me come and speak to their company, that's the place to go. Yeah. But you will post that in the show notes, yep. Chaz, which means that they're already on Gathering the Kings podcast. And it would behoove me to not point out that they are already an active listener to your content. So if they have not done so yet, I would encourage your listeners before they get to my information in the show notes, they have to scroll past those little five stars in the little comment box. And if they could actually use them for their intended purpose, which is to give you a five star rating and let you know what they're enjoying about the content that you're bringing. What was an episode that they liked? Who was their favorite guest? What have you brought to them in the experts that you're bringing on to Gathering the Kings, Chaz? And if you can, 
If you, the listener, can please let Chaz know, it's going to help all of us. First of all, it's going to help me because there will be more five-star ratings, which boosts the podcast, which means that more people will likely hear this episode. It's going to help Chaz because for the same reasons, it's going to boost the popularity, but it's going to help you because then Chaz knows who to bring on. And the whole team behind Gathering the Kings podcast, and there's a lot of people involved in this enterprise, will be able to better tailor the information for you. If you are willing to give Chaz and Gathering the Kings podcast a five-star review and comments on why you are enjoying the content, then as my thank you to you, if you go into the show notes, you click on SeanTylerFoley.com, Right at the top of the page is an offer to join my Endless Stages Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group. If you come through the website, we will also give you a free PDF download of my number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. And we will give you access to my Drop the Mic Speakers training program, which is a series of seven videos, each under five minutes. So over the course of a week, you can digest it in a coffee break. And they'll give you actionable steps to make you a better public speaker and make you more comfortable delivering material. Chaz, it was an absolute joy and a pleasure to be on with you today. And thank you so much for bringing me on. You, sir, are a king, and I'm honored to be a king amongst your court. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries, and now interviewing over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together one thousand kings specifically who are grateful but not done we're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business family and communities and here's what we believe that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy so if that relates and and resonates with you and you know that you need people around you sharp qualified other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.